uh, it's increasingly common, isn't it, uh, to hear accusations of lies uh, banded about everywhere. Isn't that right? In social media, on Twitter, everywhere we turn, there's accusations of lies. Uh, take the Brexit stuff. Okay, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to talk about Brexit. But what do you see as you look at the Brexit affair? You see politicians on either side accusing each other of lies. Isn't that right? Or for our American friends, it's the same across the Atlantic, is it not? You have either got people accusing the president of being a liar, or what else have you got? You've got the president accusing other people of fake news. Okay, so everywhere we look, kind of the same thing as uh, accusations of liars, accusations of lies. Now, I begin this morning, I wonder if I have to defend myself from a similar allegation. Do I? If you were here last week, you remember what I said, do you? I suggested that the book of Numbers was perhaps not the best name for this. Why? Because it's not just this list of names and list of numbers. And last week of year, I was waxing lyrical about how diverse it is, how amazing the book is, how varied it is. And then what happens this morning? You come into church, we open our Bible, and poor Mr. Priest, what does he read? He reads a list of names, and he lists, uh, reads a list of numbers. So, was I lying last week? Was I lying? No, not not a bit of it, not at all. Like we very soon in this sermon series, we're going to get to some really, really proper, engaging narrative. But here's the thing: I do not want that to cloud our judgment right now, today, because you can see how we could be thinking. Do you? We could be thinking, okay, so this sermon series is going to get good. <laughs> We've just got to get through the early bits of numbers, right? We could be thinking that, couldn't we? Could be thinking, okay, so numbers is going to get exciting. It's going to get great. Let's just grit our teeth and try and get through this morning. I really don't want you to think like that, my friend. I really don't. You see, in reform circles, we say very quickly and very easily that all scripture is God-breathed and we go on about how profitable it is. Like we say that really quickly and really easy. This is what I want you to hold very close to your heart this morning. You see that idea? It's true. <laughs> you have to hold that today. Like all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and it really is utterly profitable. There's no sort of peaks and troughs with the inspiration of scripture. Do you know what that means, right? That means for me anyway, I can stand up here this morning, I can stand in front of you, and I can say with loads of confidence in my heart right now, that God really, whether you believe it or not, God really does have a message to his people, to his church today, and he's got a message from where? Whether you believe it or not, God has a message to us from Numbers chapter 1. Okay, so what do we want to know? We want to know what is God saying through us. So, can I ask you to do this? Can you turn with me to Numbers chapter 1? Um, let's turn there. Make sure that we've got it open. We're going to try and cover it. We're going to try and cover from verse 1 to verse 46. And the first heading that I want you to try and follow me here on is this. What we see is the God who communicates his purposes. That's the first thing I want us to think about, the God who communicates his purposes. All right, okay. Now, I said uh, last week that one of the names 
that this book that we're dealing with numbers, one of the names that has gone by over the, over time was the name and he spoke. Do we remember this? I was talking about that last week. And he spoke. I said, not only is and he spoke the first word in the Hebrew text. Do you remember I said that that phrase is actually helpful for us to get to grips with the structure and the theme of the book. And he spoke. Okay. This is what I'm a bit scared about. I'm a bit scared that because of our familiarity with that sort of phrase, that we might miss how important the first instance of it is in the book of Numbers. Does everyone understand what I'm saying there? Like, if you know your Bible at all, you, you often read this, don't you? And the Lord said to Adam, or, and the Lord said to Abraham. We're, like, we're, we're familiar with that idea, and we're so familiar with it, I'm scared we might miss how important that instance of it is right at the beginning of Numbers. So this is what I want to do. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to ask you some questions about that divine communication at the beginning of Numbers, okay? So I'm going to ask you some, you don't, yeah, look, you don't have to shout out answers or anything, but I want you to think, think it through these, the answers to these questions, okay? So this divine communication, first question would be this for you. From where does God speak? Would you look at it in verse one? Maybe the boys and the girls will follow this as well, will you? I know you've got your worksheet as well, but from where does God speak? Do you see it in verse 1? I'll give you just a second to skim read verse 1. Now, do, do, I suppose you could say to me, there's a couple of answers to that. Is there? You'd say that, would you? Because you could say, where does God speak? God speaks from the wilderness in Sinai, right? And that reminds us actually of where we are, doesn't it? Do you remember that from last week? The people of Israel are all camped the foot off Mount Sinai, they're camped and they're about to, they're making preparations for a big journey. So you could say that, right? from where does God speak? Wilderness is sent. Isn't there another aspect to that in verse one? From where else does God speak? He speaks from the tent of meeting. Now I just need to pause just for a second here to make sure that everybody knows what is meant when we're talking about that. Do we know what the tabernacle is or the tent of meeting it's something that we'll come back to later on in this sermon series. Do you, do, you, do you know what? I think YouTube can help us here. I can't. I'm not going to show you a video. I don't mean that. But maybe if you're on YouTube and you've got a YouTube account, you've maybe noticed the modern day obsession with um, movable interviews. Do you know what I'm talking? Is it just the YouTube recommendations that I get for some reason? Maybe not. Maybe like James Corden. Yeah. And what's that? Uh, the carpool karaoke stuff. Okay, yep. Some of you obviously are watching that too often. Um, or if your tastes are a little bit more sophisticated, what about Jerry Seinfeld and, uh, what is it, comedians in cars getting coffee as well? So what's that? Like there's this similar thing, isn't there? There's people sort of talking, communicating, chatting as they do what? As they drive along, right? So there's these communication these interviews as people are journeying on you see that idea isn't that helpful here because friends what was the tent of meeting this is a definition that i read last week and i like this definition the tent of meeting was a portable mount sinai do you get the idea do you put the pieces together what's the tent of meeting the tent of meeting was where god spoke to his people as they traveled Tent of the meeting was the very point where God communicated to people as they journeyed on. So if we got the first answer to the question, from where does God speak? You say back to me, from the tent of meeting. Okay, good. Second question for you. 
easier question, of course. To whom does God speak? Have a look in verse 1. To whom does God speak? Like if I, if I was to ask you, does God speak to his people at the tent of the king? How would you answer that? You'd probably say, well, kind of, Andy, wouldn't you? Because yes, what God says at the tent of meeting has to be communicated right around the camp, right? All the people have to hear this message. But how does God do it? He speaks through Moses, right? He speaks through one individual. Yes, it's to go to everybody. But God uses, crucial word, God uses a mediator here. So from where does he speak? Tent of meeting. To whom does he speak? He speaks to Moses, speaks to all the people. And then the last question here for you on this. When does God speak? And here, do you know what? This is a sort of confession time for the minister of the church a little bit here. Um, I I, I say it seriously. I, I do mean that. Because I think that when I'm reading the Bible at home, I think now that I am guilty a lot of the time of not paying close enough enough attention to the date stamps or the time references that the Bible makes. Maybe, do you understand what I mean at least? Like I don't mean when I'm preparing a sermon, but I mean when when I'm reading devotionally. So you can imagine it's like first thing in the morning, it's like the bedhead, you know, and like hair, hair everywhere, like bags under my eyes and I've got, got my coffee and I'm reading the Bible and it'll say, you know, on the eighth day of the second month of the 18th year of so-and-so. And I think honestly that I'm guilty of really not giving that as much attention as I should. Am I alone? <laughs> no, maybe not alone. Okay. Let's not make that mistake here. Okay. Would you look at the second half of verse one? Now, when does this happen? See if we can put it together. God spoke on the first day of the second month and the second year and so on. So what we learn in there now, we're learning. Yes, we are learning that what we're dealing with took place 11 months after Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the law. So they'd been camped there for 11 months. So we learned that. That's fine. And that's great. And that's marvelous. Do you know what really excites me? Do you know what I find really interesting is the very next word. God spoke here, beginning in Numbers. Look, on the first day of the second month in the second year, after they came out of Egypt. God spoke here after they came out of Egypt. Now, do you see why that is exciting? Do you see why that's interesting to us? Like, you all know the story. You all know their history, do you? What's just happened? The people of Israel have just been freed from slavery in Egypt. You know the story, don't you? Friends, you know the story. The Passover and the blood on the lintels of the door and the people are free from slavery, the shackles of slavery. And But I'm asking you, what does God, what happens then? So answer me this. Are the people freed from Egypt and then God says to them, see you later? Like, are they freed from Egypt and slavery and God says, right, you're going to Canaan and I will see you in Canaan. Is that what happens? That's not what happens. At Mount Sinai, God enters into a covenant with the people and listen to it, where God promises to travel with the people. 
He promises to travel with him. Now do you see why Numbers 1, verse 1, is an awesome verse? What have you got? You've got the actual fulfillment of that promise. Do you see it? Verse 1 here is not just that God spoke. It's the fact that God spoke in the wilderness. God speaking to the people as they travel on, as they prepare to go to the promised land. This is God willing to communicate with them. Now, I gave it a big build-up, didn't I, at the start, to say that God has surely a word to his church from the book of Numbers. I wonder, Christian friend in here, do you see what it is? Like last week, I said that if you are born again in Christ Jesus, you should be so excited by the book of Numbers. Because why? Spiritually speaking, in a sense, we're here, aren't we? I mean, what's your history? We've talked about the people of Israel. What's your, what's your testimony, friends? What would you say if you were asked your testimony, your history? Wouldn't you say, like these people, you have been freed from slavery? Haven't you? Not by the blood and the lintels, but by the blood of the cross. And where are you today, Christian friend? Remember what we said last week? You're on this journey. You've got this Christian walk with, with the promised land ahead of you. Do you not see the message, the text? Do you not see what God is reminding you from that first verse? Do you not see it? Not only today is God traveling with you on this Christian journey, but what you're seeing in verse 1, God is also willing to speak to you. God is willing to communicate with you, Christian friend, as you journey ever forward towards that heavenly home. And yet, isn't it the case that as the church, we so often ignore that crucial detail? Now you, bear with me a second, this is farcical, but I want you to imagine this. Imagine this morning we had read this in Numbers 1. Imagine Adrian had come up the front, opened the Bible, and imagine you read this. Ready for it? Imagine God assembled Israel and I. And God was about to speak to all the people through Moses. But one of the people said, actually, I'm too busy. I've got to go to work. Imagine that. I mean, you think this is madness. Or God assembled all of Israel at Sinai. God's about to speak to the people through Moses. But one of the people said, but there's a festival on in Egypt. It's a really good show, so I'm just going to kind of nip off and go and see that. If you read that in Numbers chapter 1, you'd be just, that's a mistake. That's a mad thing to do. And in the case, friends, that we do the same, isn't it? I mean, today, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is he? The mediator who is greater than Moses. Who is the Lord Jesus? He's the tent of meeting. I mean, he's the one who is tabernacled amongst us. God is willing to speak to his church. God speaks, yes, through the preaching of his word Sunday by Sunday. But I want you to think about it for your own life. God is willing to speak to you, Christian friend, communicate with you through your reading and your studying of Holy Scripture. And isn't it the case as we think about our own lives, we prioritize other things. Isn't that us? Friends, in Numbers 1, God speaks in the wilderness. And we're there. And we should be ready to listen. So, God who communicates his purposes. Okay, second thing here. The God who counts 
his people. The God who counts his people. So, if you're with me, you've seen that God speaks. Okay, and that's great. But what does God say? Well, I think there's an easy mistake that you and I could make with Numbers chapter 1. I wonder if you made it. I'm sure you didn't. But if you and I just skim read this chapter, this is the conclusion that we could we could have. Just skim read it. We could conclude that God wants a general census of his people taken in Numbers chapter 1. Is that the conclusion that you drew in Numbers 1? God just wants a record of his people. He wants to know at Sinai who are his. So he commands a general census to be taken. Is Is that what you thought? Uh, well, if we... Read it like that. If we just skim read it, I think we could miss the purpose of the census. And I want to make sure that everyone in the room, young and old, gets the purpose. Because we will not understand the book of Numbers unless we get it. So could you look to verse 3 with your minister, please? Look to verse 3. So my question to you is, why does God count the people? What's the answer? Look at verse 3. Count every male from 20 years old upwards, and then this comes, knocks us off our feet. Count all who are able to go to war. Now, you see the point I'm making. This is not just a general sense. This was a census with a military purpose. Now, listen, that because the taking of the promised land was going to involve invading pagan nations, it was going to involve the suppression of pagan nations because of that, this is not just a general census. This is not just number the people, count the people. What is it? How would you describe this? Would you say it's an enlistment? It's not just a general census. It's an army draft, actually, we've got in Numbers chapter 1, isn't it? Now, immediately, this is what I want to do. I want us to just pinpoint or drill into that for application here. So if you take the premise that numbers is for us in here, can I ask you, what do you see as you look around this room? (laughs) What do you see? As you look around this room, what do you see? How would you describe this? Do you say it's a Christian community? Is that your first thought? Say it's a, it's a community of faith? Some of you are just going to go straight for it. It's a congregation or it's a church. Can I tell you what we are, what this is? This is a battalion, biblically. We are a battalion. That London City Presbyterian Church, that we are a war. This is wartime. That though, of course, our, our enemies are not physical, are they? That our enemies are not pagan nations to defeat. We have to understand that as a church, we are at war. That we have a battle with sin, a genuine, real, severe battle with sin, flesh, Satan, to fight. Now, if you see that and if you agree with that, then I think this. I think there's a couple of little details in Numbers 1 that can really challenge you and me, okay? And I need you to go with me for the first one. So we you do this, we just turn over, I think it's just one page, maybe two pages, to Numbers 4, verse 2. Okay? Let's do this together. Numbers 4, verse 2. Now, in Numbers 4, as you find that, Numbers 4, verse 2, what we're dealing with is another census, another list. It's the sons of Koath, it's the tribes of Levites. We're going to get there, we're going to deal with it. Let's read this. 
Okay, verse 2. So God says, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi by their clans, the fathers, households. Now listen to it. Listen to it. Look at it. From 30 years old up to 50 years old. Okay? So these are servants in a tent of meeting. You remember that phrase, will you, just for a second. So count these people from 30 years old up to 50 years old. Got it? Now, what I want you to do is compare that with chapter 1, verse 3. Go back. He tells Moses, count these people, take a census of the people from 20 years old and upwards. Like, do you see the difference? Do you see why I'm lingering on this? I'm not so concerned about the 20 years old, 30 years old thing. That's fine. That's okay. You've got to be young, be in the army. That's fine. It's the other side of it. Do you see? There's no upper age limit. There's no age restriction in this army draft. It's not 20 years old at 40. It's not 20 years till 50. It's 20 years old and up. And I'm standing before you and, and I'm asking you, is that not Ah, is that not a challenge to us? Especially, how will I put this diplomatically? Especially if you're here and you're a person who's getting slightly older. You know, perhaps you've been a Christian for a long, long time. Isn't it challenging? Because you know what it's like when we get a little bit longer in the tooth. What can happen? What can happen? We can take our foot off the gas when it comes to our spiritual warfare. Isn't that right? We get older, the gray hairs come in, the hair begins to recede. So many other things come into our lives, so many responsibilities, and we can lessen our commitment even to the church. Do you know what can happen when we get older? We can plateau in the fight against our sin and the flesh. And what do you learn from Numbers chapter 1? What's clear here? Listen to it. There ain't no retirement in the army of God. There is no retirement age in our fight and our warring against sin. But I say two little details here, and I want to say this, and I want you to hear it, that the second of the two details, I think, is the main point of the whole of the chapter of Numbers. So this is the main point of the whole of the chapter of Numbers. Now, how we're going to get there is this. I'm going to read from verse 2. And you don't have to follow it along, you can just listen. But I'm going to try and bring out the emphasis of the text and try and make it as clear as possible. You see if you get it. Okay, so this is from verse 2. Just listen, because I'll skip bits and pieces, but listen. God says, take a census of all of the congregation of the people. Every male. Verse 3, all in Israel. Verse 4, people from every tribe, each tribe. Do you, do you, do you, surely you can see the emphasis that with the exception of the Levites who had special spiritual tasks, what's, who does God want in this war? Does he, want, he wants every man who is able to fight. You see, God doesn't say, let's get an army together, let's get some people in the army, other people can do other stuff. Do you see it? And he doesn't say, okay, some guys, if they don't want to do it, they don't have to be involved in this fight. Oh, it's all right if some slip through the grating, some through slip through. He says, everyone who's able to fight, fight. Every single soul who is able here is to be mustered for warfare. And surely as I look around the LCPC, everyone understands how that's challenging for you and I. 
Because this morning, today, who is it that God wants in this fight against Satan and sin and flesh? Who does God want fighting at LCPC? Come on. I'll quote my American brethren. Who does God want fighting? All y'all. Isn't it though? I mean, isn't it? Like God wants every single one of us in Christ Jesus waging war against sin and against the flesh. So let me twist that and turn that into a question for you to consider of your own Christian experience today. Listen to me, Christian friend, today, are you hiding from battle? Is that you? And this war that's to be waged against our sin and against the flesh, are you in danger of becoming a deserter, fugitive from the army of God? Is that you? If so, for your encouragement, can I remind you what sort of war we are fighting? Do you know what's happened? Our commander-in-chief has gone on ahead of us in the battle, hasn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ. And what's he done? He's taken on the foe. The Lord Jesus Christ has secured the victory in this war. The Lord Jesus Christ has even secured for us. He secured the promised land. These are mere battle skirmishes ahead. But should we not pay heed to this call at arms? And should we at LCPC not stand up to be counted. So we see the the God who communicates his purposes and the God who counts his people. But then thirdly and lastly, we see the God who keeps his promise. The God who keeps his promise. And here, brace yourself, I suppose, brace yourself I thought long and hard about whether we would go down this route and we are going to go down it because I do not think it would be right. I don't think we'd be doing justice to number one. Unless we dealt with what is commonly held to be one of the biggest textual problems in all of the Bible in this chapter. So it's commonly assumed that there is a huge problem with the communication of God's word and it's present for in this chapter, in this section that we're dealing with. So I, we could, I could ignore it <laughs> and pretend that it does not exist, uh, but we should at least deal with it. So to see the textual problem, the alleged textual problem, can you look with me to verse 46? What's the number? Was it 603,550? What what do we have to do with that number? 603,000. We have to, so that's what? That's the guys who are able to fight, fight. 603,000, that's the army. We've got to add to that the women, don't we? And then we've got to add the children, those under 20, They've got to be added to that. So you do that. What happens is that you get up, most people would agree, you're getting up towards a figure of 2 million people camped at sight. 2 million people. Now, what probably the majority of commentators and scholars and and, and, uh, people would say about that is that that has to be mistake has to be a mistake and there's a, like there's a whole re- list of reasons why some commentators will say that's a mistake they'll say well how is it possible that the wilderness of sinai can sustain two million people 
And then the numbers of the armies of God later on in the book of Joshua and so forth are vastly smaller number than that, 603,000. And then this is another uh, objection that people have, that how could possibly the word of God be transmitted? Like two million people, a camp army of two million people. How is it possible that, that, that the word of God to Moses could be spread right? So you see the idea. Are they right? Is this a mistake? Well, it could be, and some other reformed commentators will say that it could be deliberate hyperbole, this number, as though it's recorded, it's an exaggerated figure to make a theological point, okay? I'm not going to go with that, and I'm not going to go with a mistake. Because do you know what I find really quite interesting? It's technical maybe, but what I find really interesting, and as far as I know, this is the case, there are no textual variants for that number. I think I'm right in saying that. Now, do you, do you understand what I mean by that? Like, you go back to the littlest fragment that you've got of numbers. You go back to the earliest copies of the book of Numbers. They don't, some of them don't say like 20,000 in the army and 60,000. They all say 603,550 people. I find that really interesting. And then, don't we have to face the possibility that our God could easily have supported those people in the wilderness. I mean, okay, the Sinai was much greener, much more lush back then than it is today. But in, in addition to that, could not the God who provides manna later on, the God who provides water from a rock, could he not have supported these people? And then Moses. Like, could not Moses have done what he does in chapter... You must have noticed what he does to count the census. Do you notice that he he gets the heads of the families involved in the census? Did everyone pick up on that? See, he gets the elders and the heads of the families to help him. Could he not have done that with the communication of God's word? Could he not have got the elders, the heads of the families together to ensure that two million people hear what God has to say? And if you are with me right now... And you too agree that this indeed could absolutely be accurate. Does your heart not sing with praise? Because do you not see what that means? A Christian friend, you look at it, you think of 603,000 people and that are 2 million people. And you view it through the promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. What do we know? Come on, you know what that promise is. What does God promise Abraham? Most unlikely of things that he promises one day you have so many descendants. And he says in the covenant of grace, doesn't he, in Genesis chapter 17, he says to Abraham, you will have so many, they're so vast, so there's such a multitude, there'll be as many as the very stars in the sky. Has somebody see it? From Numbers chapter 1, what do you learn right now today? What do you see here? That God is a God who keeps his promise. God is a God who keeps his word. He does this in numbers. He increases the people. But he is doing that. And I want you to hear this. He is doing that this very day. You know, if you were to lift your eyes above LCPC, and if you were to look right to the four corners of the world, what would you see? You would see that this increase you've got in numbers, chapter one, is increasing. The increase increases. You have today people from all tribes and all nations and peoples and languages. And what's happening through the work of the Holy Spirit? They are being added to this army. 
603,000. That's tiny compared to the spiritual army of God today. People, all multitudes of people into faith in Christ for his glory. So I ask you, are you today doubting the power of God, Christian friend? Filled with doubts. Then you look at Numbers chapter 1. You remember the covenant of grace and you realize God is a God who keeps his word. God is a God who keeps his promise. And I end, though, and I have to end like this. Because perhaps there are people, Christians, this morning. And I have to remind you of what I said to you last week. You see these people of Israel about to march to the promised land. You know what's going to happen? They're going to fail God. That God demands perfection for salvation. He demands holiness. And these people, like you and like me, these people fail and they rebel against God. But I wonder if you know your Bible. Even if you're not a believer in here, do you know your Bible? Have you heard of Caesar Augustus? You heard of him? If you know your Bible, what would Caesar Augustus do? Many years later, Caesar Augustus would rise up as a ruler and he would demand that a census be taken. And that in turn would force this young couple to go back to their hometown of Bethlehem in Judea where this little baby would be born. And I ask you, if you're not a Christian, what would that baby grow up to do? Do you not see? He would grow up to do what the ancient people of Israel could not do. He would grow up to do what you simply are failing to do and have failed to do. That baby would grow up to fulfill all righteousness and everything in numbers. Everything, everything in this chapter points you to Christ. He is the one through whom God communicates. He is the one who has gone to war to secure for LCPC a promised land. And he is the one where all the promises of God find their yes and amen. And he is the one you need. He is the one you need. So friend, will you know, I pray, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today. And in so doing, have your name added to what? To that heavenly census of our God. Friends, let's bow and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, Numbers chapter 1. Lord, we thank you so much that right now in our sanctification, this walk uh, homeward, that you are a God who does not leave us alone. You have promised that you will be with us always to the very ends of the earth. We are thankful that uh, through your Holy Spirit, you communicate uh, to your people. Lord, give us ears to hear. Help us to prioritize listening to you. We are thankful, Lord God, that we have this a function where we are to fight against our sin. We ask, Lord God, that you would forgive us for the times where we are so and too relaxed in our Christian experience. Lord, help us to take up the, 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 the armor of God and to fight. And Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who keeps your words. Lord God, we thank you for the covenant of grace. We thank you for how Christ fulfills all that is necessary. And Lord, we pray that you would bring people to Jesus today. And we pray this not for our benefit, not for our name, but we pray it for the glory of Christ. We pray these things in his matchless name. Amen.